0: Okay, boys and girls, now the secret word for this week's episode is music.
1: When you hear the secret word, be sure to scream your head off.
0: hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the ost party this is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans music fans and all stripes of people get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks my name is joseph wade i'll be your host for this evening here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host libby cudmore libby what's shaking
1: oh not much uh this is kind of a bittersweet episode i'm afraid
0: It is. I think we announced we were going to talk about video games this week, but uh, with the unfortunate and tragic uh, passing of Mr. Paul Rubens, we thought it was only appropriate that this week um, we talk about the work of Pee Wee Herman. And, of course, uh, not just a a man of of TV and film, but also he's uh, all over the world of 80s music. Ah! 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 That's going to be fun. So tonight we're gonna take you through sort of the history of Pee Wee Herman and all of the the songs that he's kind of been associated with throughout the years, um in in tribute to one of one of the true the true original talents of the '80s.
1: Absolutely. So just an icon, a legend, and I uh, one that is truly truly missed. I think especially by the two of us. Oh yeah. We've long been Pee Wee fans.
0: Huge Pee Wee fans from you know real little. And it's just it breaks my heart
1: devastated. I came back from lunch and saw it. I was like, no, this can't be
0: real yeah it, it broke about one o'clock that that day, and I just that was it for the day for me like I just couldn't couldn't function, couldn't do much of anything like I just went straight home and started watching peewee things on on uh, youtube
1: yeah it was it was just too sad um do you know he uh he actually spent time in my hometown, really yep, um when he was little, he uh lived for a couple of years here in Oneonta.
0: Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he actually, I guess, about six months ago, he was working on a memoir and he called our history center looking for some photographs. And I think um, they weren't able to really find many. But um, when he, when his passing was announced, a classmate of his found a yearbook uh, from their elementary school class and pointed him out. Oh, yeah. So that's sweet. Pee wee is a a hometown boy. In many ways.
0: Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. well uh, before we talk about Pee Wee Herman tonight, because we have a lot to talk about with Pee Wee Herman, we have to cover uh, our last episode's poll from Twitter uh, or the X poll. Whatever We're not calling
1: call it, it that. I'm not calling it X ever. Okay. Never going to happen.
0: So for our poll on Coneheads, we asked you fine people uh, what the best song on the soundtrack was. We picked our top four and then you uh, got to vote. Uh, the number one song Could have seen this coming, but I did it anyway, Uh, with 42% of the poll was um, sold to squeeze by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Probably should have known, but, you know, uh, whatever. (laughs) Tied for second place was Dan Aykroyd's Conehead Love and Morton Harkett's cover of Frankie Valli's Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Respectable.
1: about Conehead Love a lot lately. I know that was a, a favorite over on our Discord.
0: It's it's such a strange earworm. It's
1: very weird.
0: And then finally, in fourth place, uh, with 8.5%, were Diggable Planets in the song Little Renee.
1: It actually came up on um, the 90s Vivo channel. Really? The other day, yes. Oh, my God. And gosh. that song was great, too. I forget which one it was, but I was like, I know these guys. And I, I was listening to it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. Well, uh, we will put a- another poll up. As long as we're allowed to use the poll feature, we're going to keep using it. Uh, So go to our Twitter, at OST Party, and take our poll after this episode airs. So now, uh, before we jump straight into the long history of Pee Wee Herman, Libby, what is is your history with with Pee Wee?
1: Well, it's been a lifelong thing, and it actually comes from my mother. After my sister was born, she went back to work at the Bull's Head Inn in my hometown of Cobleskill and um so this was about 1986 um when peewee's playhouse debuted and uh jim howe who was the head chef would do the word of the day mm. and so my mom had to start watching peewee to know what the word of the day was and you know they would all all the waitresses and staff would scream when someone would say it which was very bad in a restaurant when the word of the day was for instance sugar as it was oh no they'd all have to go into the kitchen and scream when somebody said the word of the day um so of course you know with three kids at home she started showing us Peewee's Playhouse and it was just always it was a staple in our household now I don't remember a whole lot about it as a real little kid I do remember watching peewee's big adventure a lot although i would leave the room when large march came on i don't think i actually watched the large march sequence until i was well into my teens
0: oh no that scene is traumatizing like even today
1: deeply uncomfortable um but why is that movie
0: pg i don't understand
1: (laughs) it's just oh my god um and then i don't remember any specific episodes or anything much about peewee's playhouse because i was so little when it was on but we definitely had a vhs of it um that my mom would show my sister beth um who's 10 years younger than me so i remember watching it when i was a little older with her and when peewee was arrested in 1991 you know so many i remember so many of my classmates and so many of their moms being like he's a pervert blah 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 blah, blah. and my mom was like nope <clears throat> No, we're a proud Pee-wee household. She had a Pee-wee doll, and I I posted a picture on my Instagram that she Mm -hmm. still has that was on display in our house. Like, we were a proud Pee-wee household. My mom was not having any of that (laughs) shit. Like, like, Excellent. So what about you? What was your?
0: Pee-wee's Playhouse debuted the year I was born, so I don't really have any memories of actually watching it as a little kid. But I know I did because my parents would tell me later that they loved watching it. Because they thought it was fun and weird, and they just thought it was neat, and so they watched it with me. Um, so I think out from a very from even before I could remember things, like Pee Wee was just in my brain, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't until like some years later when my uncle first showed me Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like that was one of his favorite movies. He loved it, so he thought I would love it too, and of of course I did because it's Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It's a
1: perfect film. It really
0: is. And the, his favorite joke in the entire world was the joke about at the Alamo not having a basement. To the point where he would remind me of this fact like every chance he got. He's like, Rick, wherever you go in life, always remember, there ain't no basement in the Alamo. And when I finally got to visit the Alamo last summer, it was with a, It was very bittersweet because I know like if we had gone there, he would have told me about it. He would have wanted to see it. He would have asked people about it. It would have been his entire week. Mm -hmm. and so it just you know it's sad that he's no longer with us but he would have been all over that
1: well it's funny because i remember you going on that trip and i'm pretty sure i texted you like remember to ask about the basement
0: you did you did that's (laughs) right i even asked we were uh, a uh, waitress at our hotel we were staying at, we asked her, like, hey, how many people ask y'all about the basement in the Alamo? And the lady just, like, hung her head down, and she said, every single dad that walks through that door asks me that question. And I'm... Um, it, it is the greatest yes. dad joke of all time.
1: It's great. <laughs> uh, it, you know, when Paul Rubens died, uh, the Alamo actually tweeted about, you know, how... People ask every single week, can they see The Basement? Mm-hmm. And they have since that movie came out. And somebody I remember seeing somebody retweeted it and said, Do you know how iconic you have to be when the Alamo remembers you?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like that's that's iconic.
0: That's amazing.
1: So it was wonderful seeing all the tributes to Pee-wee, just every single person said, What a what a great person he was what a wonderful human being like a genuinely truly kind person that he did a lot for children's hospitals um you know with the cameras not rolling that he was just an incredibly kind and generous person Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: and I guess his birthday texts were legendary
0: that's true yeah I saw a lot of celebrities talk about how much they're gonna miss his birthday texts
1: yeah because I guess they were all-day affairs yeah. Which is beautiful.
0: That's dedication. Mm-hmm. That's a true friend right there. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, we've got a long road ahead of us tonight, so let's let's get going. The, much like Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, this, this episode is going to be a bit of a road trip for us.
1: <laughs> road trips. <laughs>
0: it's it's our, our favorite genre here. Our favorite genre. So Paul Reubens developed the character of Pee-Wee Herman in the late 1970s. He was a member of the Groundlings troupe. Pee-Wee began as his idea of... Somebody who could never possibly make it as a stand-up comedian. Like, that was the prompt, I guess, that night.
1: Almost uh, Andy Kaufman-esque.
0: Sort of, yeah, yeah. So after workshopping that persona for a few years, he made his first public appearance as Pee Wee Herman on a 1979 episode of The Dating Game. Right? <laughs> and you can watch the episode on YouTube, and uh, spoiler alert, he lost. Oh, no. But like as soon as, as soon as you know the curtain comes up and they reveal the three bachelors, they reveal pretty quickly, oh, this is Pee Wee Herman. He's a comedian. He's here for, you know, entertainment value. This is a bit, yes. Yeah, this is a bit. But it was it's still fun nonetheless to see him like kind of fully formed in nineteen seventy nine that early. Uh he auditioned for Saturday Night Live in nineteen eighty, was not hired. Uh incidentally, nineteen eighty was the season that Eddie Murphy broke big on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. So this this would have been that kind of that period. Other comedians who auditioned that season and did not get it: Jim Carrey, Sandra Bernhard, and John Goodman. Can you imagine John Goodman on Saturday Night Live like as a regular? Because I can't.
1: But also, like the magic it would have held.
0: Oh, it would have been amazing. So you could you could have had a season of Saturday Night Live that had Jim Carrey and Pee Wee Herman and John Goodman in the same show.
1: Uh, I don't. I don't think I could have handled that much Jim Carrey, but...
0: Yeah, the universe would have imploded.
1: Yes, but Paul Rubens and uh, uh, John Goodman? Sign me up.
0: Um, After failing to land on SNL, uh, Rubens took the Pee-wee character and turned it into a stage show, kind of spoofing the children's programs of his youth, like Howdy Doody and things like that. And the Pee-wee Herman show, as it came to be known, grew in popularity until it was finally filmed and broadcast by HBO in 1981. And it's on HBO Max. You can watch it right now. And it's still just fantastic.
1: It is hysterical. I watched and it, it uh, the day he died and just was laughing so hard.
0: And it's a little edgy, too. Like they kind of sanded the edges off of Pee Wee over time, but it's weird to see kind of the risque humor that was kind of built into the character early on.
1: Shoe Mirrors was the one where I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when he, um, there's a scene where he, hypnotizes a woman uh, and gets her to take her clothes off.
0: <laughs> and The the real jarring thing about that is like the over-the-end credits is just a shot of her just wandering down the street.
1: <laughs> it's
0: it's kind of dark for an ending. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the show also featured a lot of his Groundling co-stars, such as Phil Hartman as Captain Carl, uh, Lynn Marie Stewart as Miss Yvonne, John Paragon, the late, great John Paragon, the late, great Phil Harbin, too. I shouldn't m- dismiss any of this, but John Paragon is Jambi the Genie. Mm-hmm. You can't forget Jambi the Genie. But also, the one that blew me away, and I just didn't ever remember this, was OST Party MVP Tito LaRiva is in this thing.
1: Yes, like his, indeed.
0: His first, like, TV appearance <laughs> was on the Wee Herman show.
1: And I, you know, as I'm, I'm flipping around and looking up where everybody... Went on to I was like, "Holy shit, he's he's in Roadhouse."
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, his band is singing uh, right at the beginning. When, oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah,
0: I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. But also, Pee Wee, uh, the Pee Wee Herman show, has its share of music. <laughs> ah! Ah! Uh, the first of two songs we're going to get here is a, mel- a medley of songs from Sly and the Family Stone that Pee Wee performs with Mr. and Mrs. Jelly Donut.
1: His next door neighbors. Yes, and they are Monica Gans and Brian Seth.
0: Right, right. Uh, so let's let's go to a clip. Of that right
1: Uh, some of the songs they cover in this, and it's a very chaotic tribute. It's certainly not supposed to be taken too seriously. Uh, I would do anything for that flamingo guitar. That, oh, that's
0: that's a wonderful guitar. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, so that Mr. Jelly Donut is playing. Um, they cover stand and dance to the music. They do mm-hmm. hot fun in the summertime with Pee Wee doing the uh, ooga sound. But we get the first <laughs> appearance of the big shoe dance, as it will come to be known, During the thank you uh, for letting me be myself again sequence.
0: Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. The Pee Wee Big Shoe Dance predates uh, Michael Jackson's moonwalk. Think about that.
1: And some might say equally iconic.
0: Equally iconic, if not more so. Mm -hmm. Because not everybody can do the moonwalk. Everybody can do the big shoe dance.
1: Oh, yes. And we'll talk at length about the big shoe dance coming up. But we we first see it uh, here. So a lot of the stuff from this stage show... Um, did make it. Obviously, the Playhouse Zombie Miss Yvonne, mm-hmm. uh, Captain Carl was on the first season before Phil Hartman uh, moved over to SNL, right? Um, so there's a lot of uh, what like what started there transitioned into the Playhouse,
0: right? And the other one that we didn't mention was uh, Edie McClurg. Uh, it was Hermit Hattie yes. on the show. She's well, you know, one of the other Groundlings, but she, like she has, she's got that such an iconic voice.
1: Mm-hmm. You, like,
0: you immediately know who that is as soon as you hear her talk.
1: Yes. Uh, and she did work with other Groundlings uh, because she was in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, of course, is at the end of Steve Martin's profanity-laced rant in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles.
0: Yes. Yes um god just so many so many great actors got their start with P- the Wee herman show
1: it's kind of amazing and peewee and paul well uh paul rubens and specifically the peewee character has launched so many major careers which we'll talk about shortly
0: mm-hmm. uh but the the basic plot i guess of the peewee herman show is that captain carl and miss yvonne uh want to get together but they're too uh you know awkward around each other so peewee uh uses his one wish from john B. the genie to make them uh get together and of course they do and then later admit well we already liked each other
1: so peewee's so- a little bit petulant because he gave up his wish to be able to fly mm-hmm. in order to make miss yvonne and captain carl happy
0: so uh, the re- the other residents, I guess, of the the playhouse neighborhood,
1: Land, Puppet
0: Land, is what it's called. You're right. Uh, decide that well, since since Peewee's wish didn't work because they already liked each other, Peewee deserves another wish. Mm-hmm. So they all uh, wish for Peewee to have his wish come true. And at the very end of the show, uh, we get the next song on our list here, as we see Peewee fly away and sing the luckiest boy in the world. In the world. My wish to fly has come true
1: one hits differently now
0: it really does
1: it does um as a kid i thought this was so hysterical because he uses it to point out that he's so much luckier than you which is such a petulant like little kid thing to say <laughs> um, but
0: then he, he kind of brings it back at the end where he says you know i'm gonna
1: share all my luck with you yeah and it's really cute um and now it makes me like extremely wistful
0: it does and yeah, he's yeah. Like, like, i remember kids I remember seeing this on TV when I was really young on HBO because remember my family had HBO. That's right. And just being entranced by it. Yeah. Not, not realizing that this was the same thing as Pee Wee's Playhouse, you know. But, it's just its own weird little thing.
1: Yeah, I'm also like kind, still kind of amazed um, at how they can get the stage so dark that you can get that yeah. illusion.
0: Yeah, the the lighting on that and, and I guess the the costuming they have to do, pull off that is just it's
1: kind of incredible yeah. for
0: the, for the time.
1: And for yeah, for a stage show which, you know, there's going to be like, you know, you have to bring down completely house lights. Like you have to make right. it pitch dark. Um which was impressive. So, um and to be able to light him but not light Paul Rubens. Mhm. So.
0: Uh, and of course, and of course for TV, you can kind of shoot it so that you only see his face and a little bit of the puppet and not much else. So yeah. you can cheat it with TV, but on the stage show, it still has
1: to track. Um, but right at the end there where um, he's like, goodbye, boys and girls. I just like I caught myself from my couch saying like, goodbye, Pee-wee. Oh, like that was man. my send off to him.
0: Man. Yeah. Breaks my heart.
1: Oh, no, um, I like to think that this is how it felt to go into the afterlife for him.
0: Oh, just to fly away and, and uh, be his own little superhero? Yeah. yeah.
1: I like to think Phil Hartman was waiting for him.
0: Oh, man. You're going to make me cry. Uh, so moving on with Pee Wee, uh, he makes his first film appearance in 1981, 1982 in Cheech and Chong's next movie, where he does play himself as kind of a, a little... Uh, rough around the edges version of Pee-wee Herman, and he gets on stage and does the Pee-wee stick a little bit. Uh, tries to have chi ching Chong killed at the end arc, <laughs> which is which is very out of character for Pee-wee. But he also plays like a disgruntled hotel clerk. And I, it's been a lot too long since I've seen this movie. I don't remember if they're supposed to be the same character. Or
1: yeah, I, I've never seen it, so I don't know.
0: But um, you know, but in, in between. Cheech and Chong's next movie and his Pee Wee's next movie uh, Pee Wee Herman appeared in lots of different TV shows and specials throughout the early 80s uh, including his one and only music video which we'll only mention briefly here which is Brian Adams reggae Christmas Ugh. just a combination of words I did no, not enjoy none saying. of those
1: words are good together it's like Christmas is a great word. I don't want to hear it associated with the other with two of the other ones. And I don't want to hear Brian Adams associated with reggae or Christmas, honestly.
0: Absolutely not. No, like no. But the best part of this entire video is at the beginning because it's just Pee-wee Herman. And then off, off screen, you hear someone go, hey, Pee-wee. And he looks over and he goes, oh, wow, Brian Adams.
1: <laughs>
0: and Pee-wee gets sucked into the TV to be part of Brian Adams' Christmas party.
1: Yeah, I hate that. I hate that for Pee Wee. Nobody deserves that.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Warner Brothers finally came calling in 1985 and asked Paul Rubens to write a full length Pee Wee movie. His original idea t- was to remake his favorite movie, which was Pollyanna, but with Pee Wee Herman. I don't know how that would have worked. Then one day uh, on the lot, Rubens saw people riding around on bicycles. And just said, hey, where's my bicycle? Why didn't I get a bicycle? So somebody finds and refurbishes a 1940s Schwinn just for him. And immediately Rubens trashes the Pollyanna idea and starts working up a new script with Phil Hartman that they described as a farcical parody of Bicycle Thieves. Which, like, having read that, like, I I see it, I get it. Never in a million years would I have compared Pee-wee's Big Adventure to Bicycle Thieves. (laughs)
1: Paul Rubens has said that he did not know how to write a screenplay, so they got uh, Sid's Fiel- Sid Field's book on and right. wrote it exactly to those specifications to the point where mm-hmm. Pee-Wee's Big Adventure is taught in film school.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like they follow the, the, the construction to a T, and it's perfect. He says, like, he loses his bike on page 30, and he finds it on page 60, and the movie ends on page 90. It's great. Uh, But Pee-Wee's Big Adventure follows Pee-Wee Herman on his cross-country trek to discover, to to recover, rather, his stolen bicycle, meeting all sorts of weird and wacky people along the way. Uh, And the film was directed by a former Disney animator named Tim Burton and scored by Oingo Boingo's Danny Elfman.
1: Yes, and originally because Paul Rubens was a fan of Oingo Boingo and said, Mm -hmm. I'd love you to score this film I'm working on with Tim Burton. And Danny Elfman turned him Mm. down. He was worried that he wouldn't be able to do it, that he would write something and Warner brothers would throw it in the trash. He didn't think he could live up to it, but Rubens, you know, continued to ask him and said, just meet with, you know, meet with Tim Burton. And, um, Mm -hmm. and we get our next piece, which is, um, breakfast machine, which is not the one that opens the film, but it's, kind of the one that sums up the film and is it one of the more iconic yeah. moments and let's let's go to a clip this is iconic
0: it's fantastic the scene the breakfast machine sequence the music <laughs> ah! Ah! i said the word it all works and every little joke is just perfect
1: yes and it so it starts at these like few little drips of a high melody and then like it's it's nice and it goes along and then it just ramps up into that manic energy
0: yeah, you get that little piano march at the beginning, and then just the, whole, the full blast orchestra just hits.
1: Yeah, so you, and then it kind of brings in, like, these sort of sweeping strings, like, kind of almost whirlwind-esque, and then it just brings it all back home.
0: It's like a roller coaster, kind of. It
1: really is, and it definitely lays the groundwork for everything that Danny Elfman would do as a composer mm-hmm. later on. Like, you can hear where he pulls I, um, you know, little fills for Beetlejuice or Dick Tracy or everything else that that he's done for Tim Burton, especially. Yeah, really. Um, this is right up there in Danny Elfman compositions with I would say uh the theme to Beetlejuice and Ooh, the yeah. Batman theme.
0: Yeah, those those first like 3 or 4 that he did really were kind of like the peak. Like you don't get much better than that, yeah. And unfortunately, and... the same is true with Tim Burton.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I
0: I have always compared. <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but just bear with me. I've always compared Pee Wee's Big Adventure to Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine, in where they they started at ten, and then the rest of the career is just kind of a downward spiral, if you will.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's per, on per. And honestly, the same with both of those. It's the only one I need.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always gonna love Beetlejuice the most, but oh, well,
0: Beetlejuice um, is great. Like I
1: bought a Beetlejuice eyeshadow palette today. <laughs> it's called "I myself am strange and unusual." I don't need another eyeshadow palette, but I bought it. But why not? It goes with my Catwoman eyeshadow palette and my uh, my two Beetlejuice lipsticks. Mm-hmm. So, I uh,
0: uh, okay. So your your take on Tim Burton? Where does it fall off for you?
1: After Big Fish. I yeah. don't love Planet of the Apes. Mars Attacks is messy, but looks great. Um, there's nothing redeemable after Big Fish.
0: I tend to agree. I th- I think Mars Attacks is the last one where I was like, okay, I get it. I'm into it. And then it just goes into like hot topic land from there on out.
1: Yeah, that that's how I feel. Like Big Fish to me is the one that's like the last... Because it's something so different, yeah, in so many ways. But it just from there on out, it's just hot topic presents Tim Burton.
0: Mm-hmm. It, that's yeah, that's kind of when he became like the mall commodity, and just like he stopped
1: really being Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, but I <laughs> I do love Ed Wood. I love obviously love The Nightmare Before Christmas, which we'll talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I will not be seeing Beetlejuice too.
0: No, there's no reason.
1: I'm angry about that. Um, Listen,
0: I I saw Wednesday. I don't need to see Beetlejuice 2.
1: I already wrote Beetlejuice 2. It's called Sandworm Planet. Wish you were here. It was in Monkey Bicycle. (laughs) It's brilliant. It's one of the best things I've ever written.
0: Listen, if we're not going to get Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, why are we even
1: trying? It's almighty. (laughs) So, um, I get to see uh, the New York Philharmonic. In playing the music of Tim Burton, they played Breakfast Machine, and it was one of the most energizing experiences of my life.
0: Oh, I'm so jealous! That sounds you amazing.
1: Can't even begin to imagine like how big <laughs> that sounds. I believe they did it at Coachella as well during Danny Elfman's performance. Oh, nice! Uh,
0: yeah, you kind of have to, don't you? Yeah, that's like it, one of that's one of his like iconic pieces now. It's
1: big, um, and it just it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, he came out and sang a couple pieces from The Nightmare Before Christmas, and he was wonderful. Nice. I still, it's that's one of those concerts where I'm like, I can't believe I saw that, <laughs> I can't believe I was there to see. And this was before he was performing again. Um, so I think that year he announced the first of the uh, Hollywood Bowl concerts. Ah, uh, okay. So,
0: Pee Wee's Big Adventure. We'll move on here shortly. But I just want to stop and say that Pee-wee's Big Adventure is one of those movies where you're really either on board with it or you're not. Like, if if you're on board with the Pee-wee character, this is the best movie in the world to you. If you're not into it or if you're not familiar with it, I understand that it can be a difficult watch. But if it doesn't win you over, then I don't know what to tell you.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. I think my husband grew up... In if not an anti peewee household, kind of an agnostic peewee household, mm-hmm. and he had never seen it, so um I told my mom that and she was of course horrified and so the I think one of the first Christmases we spent together, she bought him a copy of Peewee's Big adventure, and we watched it together and <laughs> you know, he's laughing along and it's it's funny, but the part that got him was when they're in the basement and he's detailing the crime and he says, and it's a scale model of the entire mall. Like for some reason that made him laugh so hard we had to turn we had to pause the movie. <laughs> and like that was the moment he was sold. He was laughing so hard he couldn't breathe. Like
0: every scene in the movie is is a candidate for best scene in the movie and that really is up there. Is yeah. the, the uh the evidence display.
1: The one that gets my dad is uh Also from that scene, like, something you'd like to share with us, Amazing Larry.
0: (laughs) And that horrified look that that guy gives him.
1: (laughs) Amazing Larry is. We don't know anything. We never see him again. But in that moment, you're just like, yeah, Amazing Larry. Of course, Amazing Larry.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So moving on. Uh, One one of the most iconic scenes in the entire movie. If you have never seen Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, you probably know this scene
1: iconic scene in american cinema honestly
0: yeah like we're talking about you know this we're the podcast to talk about this we were talking about music ah!
1: <laughs>
0: set to a film scene we're talking about Pee Wee and tequila Pee Wee is in a biker bar and he accidentally has knocked over all the bikes and they're about to kill him
1: among the people threatening to tattoo hang kill him is fellow groundling and former next door neighbor, Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Hey. Elvira.
0: That's right.
1: She's the biker mama.
0: Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they have a little a moment where she's like, I, I say we kill him. I say this and that. I say you let me have him first.
1: <laughs> and she kind of looks like uh Jareth the Goblin King.
0: Oh, she does. That's right. It's the hair. It is. It, it's totally the hair. It's like the tight it, pants, but it's also the only like the only suggestive moment in the entire movie. I think like that's truly like suggestive and kind of. Yeah. Cause like even Peewee he's uh the girl in the movie. EG Daly is Dottie is so adorable and she's, she's all over him and he just wants nothing to do with her.
1: Yeah. I guess the only other suggestive movie is my favorite Peewee joke, which is when he and Simone, the diner waitress are in the dinosaur, and she's talking about it. she wants to go to Paris, but and he says, Everybody I know has a mm. big butt. Which I used to think was hysterical, because <laughs> you yeah, know it's a double entendre. Tell me about your big butt, Simone. Right. <laughs> and of course, her boyfriend overhears that and thinks they're talking about Simone's big butt. Right. But I think about that a lot when I'm trying to decide. Or when I don't want to do something, I'm like, but And then I'm like, do you have a big butt? <laughs> Tell me about your big butt. So lessons from Pee-wee Herman.
0: Yeah, really. But Pee-wee's last request that they grant him is he takes a pair of the big white shoes. I don't know what you call those kinds of shoes.
1: Disco shoes. They're not quite creepers, but very similar.
0: Yeah, they're kind of like, like like a lounge platform shoes.
1: Yeah, platforms, that's yeah we're looking
0: for. And he dances on the bar to the champs tequila. He yeah. doesn't get any better than this.
1: No. This is, this is it. Um, and this I feel like is so ingrained in cinema fans that if you put the song on, every single one of them would start doing this. Um, as we, as we talked about, um, this originates from the stage show. What is added is him with the big shoes and getting up on the toes of the platforms. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's some extended moves. Uh, he breaks all the glasses on the bar. And screams shouts, break, break, break dance. dance. So it's just such a great music moment.
0: <laughs> and it's so out of nowhere that he, he kinda charms the bikers in spite of themselves and they they decide they actually love him.
1: Yes. Um now some <sighs> brief history of this song. It's yeah. written as kind of a end of session recording jam in nineteen fifty seven based on the Cuban Mambo song Como Mi Ritmo No Hedos by (laughs) Kachko. The word tequila, spoken three times throughout the tune. um, And Danny Flores, who wrote the song but was credited as Chuck Rios, so to not violate another uh, recording contract that he was on another label, is also the man that sings that line, tequila.
0: Tequila. Mm -hmm.
1: This song also appears, again, just to get a sense of how iconic this song was before and after, it appears in Breakfast at Tiffany's, strictly ballroom, the Sandlot, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yes. where they replace tequila with ninjutsu. Yeah, and Night at the Museum among others. It has been covered something like a million times. But if you ask anyone what they think of when they think of the Champs Tequila, they're going to tell you Pee-wee's Big Adventure.
0: It it really like for people of our age, it really is one of two like touchstones it's either peewee dancing on the bar or kids throwing up on a tilt-a-whirl it's, that's that's all you can think
1: of <laughs> it's weird my husband was just talking about the sandlot he said the kids hadn't seen it and oh, I, i've only seen the sandlot once i think i think that's like kind of kind of a boy movie
0: yeah it is and that's just super
1: gender things but i think that was one like the boys the boys would watch
0: i mean you're not wrong it's, it, so, it is what it is
1: i wrote a post about peewee Um, when he died, I had my mom's peewee doll. Um, and I remember my mom doing the big shoe dance, but she acknowledged that it's actually my sister, Sean, who (laughs) does the best peewee big shoe dance. Mm -hmm. So I should have requested that we play tequila at her wedding. I should have requested that we play tequila at my wedding. I don't know what I was thinking. Well,
0: at my wedding, we'll probably do that. So come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Peewee's Big Adventure was a big hit, of course, and it spawned. Or rather, it uh, launched the career of Tim Burton, who went on to do Beetlejuice after this.
1: And, of course, uh, Danny Elfman as a composer.
0: Exactly, yes. And uh, for Paul Rubin's part, he finally got to host a Saturday Night Live in 1985 because of this, uh, making his triumphant return. And I found out the night that he hosted, there were either there were two choices to host that episode. And somehow it came down to Pee Wee Herman or George C. Scott.
1: Those are very different. I can't even
0: imagine that. <laughs> Yeah, of course you would want to get Pee-wee Herman. But then based on the success of the film, in 1986, CBS approached Paul Rubens to, to create a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, he turned that down, but instead suggested they make a live-action show based on his uh, stage show, which became Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, it's a show that lasted for five seasons from 1980 to 1990, 1986 to 1990, rather, won 11 Daytime Emmy Awards. And the theme song, it's our next song we're going to play, Performed by Cindy Lopper and scored by Devo's Mark Mother's Ball.
1: Yes. Now it was a well, let's go to a clip. Come in and pull yourself up a chair. Put the point beginning. Originally credited to Ellen Shaw, and it was revealed in 2017 that it was actually Cindy Lauper. She revealed that in her memoir.
0: Like, I mean, you listen to it now, and like, it, it can't be anybody else.
1: Yeah, because she's doing that Mae Questelle thing that uh, she did on "He's So Unusual" from uh, mm-hmm. her debut album. She's so unusual, right? But um, it's so cartoony that it it doesn't sound real. It
0: does. And you're like, this is a, a theme song for a real TV show.
1: Yeah, it's so weird. Um, and it's so
0: long, too. It's two and a half minutes long. Like back in the 80s, that you could do that. You can't do that anymore.
1: Oh, no, they don't have, people don't have the attention span. But yeah, like I found that out a week ago. That she did this theme song. <laughs> it's, that it's blew wild, my mind.
0: Isn't it? And it makes complete sense, too. It
1: does. Uh, but also to get a, a pop star. To record your theme song like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she they, recorded yeah. it under the pseudonym because they thought recording a children's television song would um, derail her career.
0: Oh, like like uh, professional wrestling hadn't already done that?
1: Not this early. Right. But, um, but <laughs> she also shows up on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show later on.
0: That's true. She does. Yes. With Captain Lou Albano. Um, but... Released the same week as as the first episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse was Cyndi Lauper's second studio album True Colors, which features the song Nine One One, which features Pee Wee Herman, which you just told me about today.
1: Yes, <laughs> I know. It's um, also Billy Joel's on that album. So, oh, it's one I don't listen to very often. But then I was like, wait a second, and he's billed <laughs> as Pee Wee Herman.
0: Right. So let's let's go to a clip of that one. Okay, tell me about this one real fast.
1: True Colors is like has its charms. It's not as good as She's So Unusual, which is a really hard debut to top. But mm-hmm. you know, she's singing about how everything is crazy in her life and like nothing's going right, and so she's calling nine one one, which was kind of a thing. Do you remember watching like Rescue Nine One One?
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. So even though. Like 911 as an emergency number had been around since 1968. Um, it somehow was having a moment. Um, we'd seen have the show rescue 911 and Cindy Lauper singing about it. Um, but when she calls 911 at the end, it's Pee Wee who answers, tells <laughs> her that it's not available in her area, that this is a recording and then laughs that iconic Pee Wee laugh.
0: one emergency number is not in effect in the area where you are please hang up and dial o for operator this is a recording <laughs> that's that's like how you know you're in a nightmare when you, you make a phone call and peewee herman answers and says no <laughs>
1: But they remained friends. Um, after his arrest in 1991, she was one of his most passionate defenders. There's mm-hmm. a great photo that goes around every so often of the two of them playing mini golf. Oh wow! Um, it's we'll uh, probably tweet about it. It's um, you know, they're two just wonderful weirdos and the kind of weirdos you could only be in 1986. Oh, yeah. Two iconic weirdos. They're
0: they're so of a piece together, and they kind of have the same sort of kitschy charm. Yes. They exist in the same cultural space. (laughs) So moving on from this is a really odd detour that I discovered. So in 1987, Pee-Wee makes an appearance in the film Back to the Beach, which stars Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. It's kind of like a goof slash like nostalgia bait throwback to their beach party films of the 60s and in the movie the two play these you know this married couple who used to be you know beach beach party kids in the 60s and and they're trying to rekindle that romantic magic and you get a lot of um you get a lot of cameos from like 60s and 70s stars like bob denver's there as gilligan for some reason you get, <laughs> you get dick dale playing uh, I think it was like, his wipeout. He plays, and at the end of the film, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, Pee-wee Herman shows up to sing the Trashman's Surfing Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh So we're gonna play that clip now. Can you think of a more appropriate song for Pee Wee to sing than Bird?
1: This was in this film and not like a scene from the Playhouse. Right. Baffled <laughs> me. Now, this song was originally performed by the Rivingtons, but the Trashman version from 1963 is the one everybody knows. right? Up until now, because this, this Pee Wee version is now the standard.
0: It's now everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, like, watching this, I, I had trouble like believing that this was a real thing that like this wasn't like a joke where somebody inserted a scene from Wee's playhouse into this movie no and, like that it's it's real this happens and he flies away on a magic surfboard and yeah like, and,
0: that, and, and that's the end of the film
1: and i was like what because like, it's I, I, not it's not Paul Rubens in shorts, like it's Pee-Wee Herman in his suit and his bow tie.
0: Right. And it's supposed to be like a, a throwback to the 60s things. And no, here's this extremely 80s guy doing Serpent Bird.
1: It was so weird.
0: This is one a film that I've suggested we do before on the show just because the soundtrack is so odd. Uh you've you I mean you've got Eddie Money, you got uh Stevie Ray Vaughan and Dick Dale doing pipeline, not wipeout um Pee Wee Herman there is there Annette Funicello sings a song with Fishbone
1: uh, and uh <laughs> Till Tuesday is in there
0: yeah Till Tuesday is there and then um Herbie Hancock and Dweezil Zappa do a song they do Wipeout it's just such a strange collection of things that like it, I, it it made me curious just on its face like what is this thing I think it's time has passed like there's no reason to talk about it anymore but here it is like if you want to watch Pee Wee do Servant Bird here it is it's
1: kind of great in the show notes.
0: Uh, and then moving on of course to return the favor for Pee Wee showing up in their movie Frankie Avalon and Annette make guest appearances on the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special
1: we are going to talk about this Christmas
0: yes we won't talk about it too much we're going to save that conversation for another day
1: there is a lot of music in that one <laughs>
0: Strange music, but also in 1987, this was a big year for him. Uh, he made a second Pee-wee Herman movie called P- Big Top Pee-wee, uh, wherein Pee-wee Herman lives on a farm and is besieged by a traveling circus. It's okay.
1: I know I saw it in theaters. I remember nothing about it. I have not watched it since.
0: I remember when I was a kid seeing it. So the beginning, the first like five minutes of the movie, a tornado sweeps through. And the traveling circus just shows up in his front yard. As a small child, terrified of storms, that was all I needed to see. Like I never That's saw right. the rest of this movie. So sitting down to watch it this week, good lord, this movie can, is odd.
1: Where can you find?
0: Uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now. Okay, yeah, um,
1: because we have Pee-wee's Big Adventure, so we watch that on DVD. Right, but I was starting to think, like, where is all of this? You know, where is Peewee's? Playhouse. I know that uh, Adult Swim used to run it.
0: Yeah, I think there was a time when they ran that. It kind of makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And also, if anyone's interested, Back to the Beach is on Tubi, of course.
1: Hell yeah, it's on Tubi. Everything good is on Tubi.
0: Yeah. Um, but there's one song that we can talk about here in P- in Big Top Pee Wee. Which
1: uh, was also scored by Danny Elfman.
0: Which is also a Danny Elfman score, but uh, because it's not Warner Brothers, he couldn't use any of the Pee Wee's Big Adventure music. Which is kind of unfortunate. But at uh, the beginning of the film, Pee Wee's having a dream, and he dreams about being a lounge singer. And he's singing the song over the opening credits. It, the song is called The Girl on the Flying Trapeze. So let's go to a clip of that.
1: She's the girl on the flying trapeze. She's the
0: sweetest thing that's ever flown in with the
1: breeze, and if you see her. Tell her that I'm in love with her. She's the girl on
0: the flying. But well, this is actually Paul Rubens singing.
1: Again, this sounded so good that I thought you sent me the wrong version.
0: No, this is it.
1: <laughs> like I thought, like this has like did Michael Bublé exist in 1987? <laughs> like I could not believe that this was Paul Rubens. He sounds so good.
0: He really does.
1: Sounds incredible. Like, why didn't we get a jazz album from him?
0: It's truly baffling. Like, why he didn't become more of a, a musical uh, performer? Uh, ah! I'm not even trying to do it, it just happened.
1: Everyone's getting so annoyed. But yeah, I mean, we live in a timeline where Seth MacFarlane has several jazz albums.
0: And despite everything else, he's a pretty good singer somehow.
1: Still a bad person, and he still not have them.
0: He's still Seth MacFarlane. But like Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens has a great voice
1: and was a good person.
0: And, and so rarely we got to hear that.
1: I know. It seems, I'm just saying, we're in the wrong timeline.
0: We, we are. We truly are. should have are. been in the
1: timeline where Paul Rubens gave us a jazz album and Seth McFarland doesn't exist. Right. Somebody go back and write the timeline. Do what you must do.
0: Anyway, so this song is actually also foreshadowing because uh, Pee-wee falls in love with the resident trapeze artist of this uh, circus troupe played by Valeria Galeno, who, if you've ever seen the Hot Shot movies, she's the girl from the Hot Shot movies. And... In some, and this is, you know, this is like movie land because he, this is the movie where he gets the girl in the end and it's, it's her.
1: Yeah. Which is (laughs) a bit unusual. Um, I mean, he gets Dottie. Yeah. Um,
0: But it's, it's a very chaste kind of gets the girl sort of moment.
1: Yeah. And he, um, he does marry Miss Yvonne on Mm -hmm. the playhouse, but he also marries a fruit salad. So
0: (laughs) yeah. And then and then soon as as we see like none of the sticks, like in, in the eventual third Pee-Wee movie, she basically doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, each Pee-wee movie starts again. Right. Um there's no Pee-Wee canon, really.
0: Pee-Wee's Playhouse ends in 1990, not because he was arrested, because it just legitimately ended and he was done with Pee-Wee. Right? Um and but after that arrest he was the butt of so many jokes and it was like a very public, very shameful kind of thing that he went through. Like it traumatized him for years.
1: And I don't know. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't whip your drunk out, but I feel like if you're in a porno theater, I feel like that's like the one place where it's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like who walks into a porno theater is like, my God, I saw somebody's penis. Like oh, you're no. in a porno theater. Nobody's here for the cinematography.
0: Like, and then it, it's it's like the the urban legend you always used to hear about, about Blues Clues. Like, oh, did you hear that Steve is actually a crackhead? Like, it may not even be true, but like that stink—it's not true. But that stink of like a children's performer doing adult things is just like you can't have that anymore in the in this in the world, basically.
1: Yeah, it, Pee-wee so, did no wrong. None. No, and it's funny because like now it's it's such a chaste thing to get caught for in a way like. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't, you know. Yes,
0: kind of minding his own business, honestly.
1: So it, that was a, it. Was a setup, mm-hmm. and the uh, the police should be ashamed of themselves.
0: Basically, yeah. Uh, he did. He made a triumphant return as Pee Wee at the nineteen ninety one MTV VMAs, where he he came out to the crowd and he said, "Heard any good jokes lately?"
1: <laughs> and standing ovation.
0: King shit, right there. Uh, but that would be the last time he would play Pee Wee Herman in public for 16 years, mm-hmm. which is kind of a shame. Yes. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, his old buddy Tim Burton threw him a lifeline, cast him in two productions back to back. The first was in 1982, saw him play the Penguin's father in Batman Returns, very yes, briefly. And the,
1: the woman who plays uh, the Penguin's mother is Diane Salinger, who played Simone.
0: That's right. Yeah. And even though he doesn't, I don't think he gets a single line of dialogue. It's just nice to see him there, mm-hmm. you know? And I only just now found this out in the show Gotham that came out, you know, a few years ago, the, the pre-Batman Gotham City story. He plays the Pigwood's father again in that, just as a different version. Yes. So good for him. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. It, He's canon I, in the DC Universe.
0: He is. Twice. Well. See, it's always just neat. And nice to see Paul Rubens show up in anything when he's not, even when he's not Pee Wee Herman.
1: Yeah. Um, and he would show up periodically in other films. Um, his biggest at that point, um, he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, and it's a role he reprised on what we do in the shadows.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool.
1: Yep. In the vampire, there's a scene with the vampire council and it's like everyone who's ever played a vampire
0: <laughs>
1: shows up. Oh, wow. I'm um, playing their vampire self. So he's briefly in that. That's um, very cool. you know, he's, and of course we're not going to talk about mystery men, but, um, that was, I think the first thing that I saw him in again.
0: Me too. Like, yeah.
1: Holy shit. That's Paul Rubens.
0: He's back.
1: Yeah. and he looks so terrible. <laughs> he,
0: was, he, he really committed to that character. Didn't he really did, but he's so funny in that movie. But in 1993, uh, Tim Burton cast Paul Rubens in The Nightmare Before Christmas as, favorite movie. as one of the three little troublemakers. Uh, he plays Locke along with Shock and Beryl. He
1: and plays that and Locke is the devil. They are Halloween's finest trick-or-treaters. Right.
0: And they get a song. He sings a song in, in Nightmare Before Christmas.
1: Side by side with Danny Elfman as Beryl and uh, Catherine O'Hara as Shock.
0: Right. Uh, so this is uh, Kidnap the Sandy Claws.
1: I say that we take a cannon, aim it at his
0: door, and then knock three times, and when he answers, Sandy Claws will be no more. Here's so those stupid
1: things, now if we blow him up to smithereens, we may lose some pieces and the will jack will be just black and, and green. Kidnap the Sandy Claws, tie him in a bag, throw him in the ocean, and see if he is sad because... Mr. Oogie Boogie is the meanest guy around. If I were on
0: his boogie list, I'd get out. Of I'll go ahead and say it. Not my favorite song.
1: It's one of the weaker songs on the soundtrack, but obviously it is on my Christmas mix.
0: Oh, you, mean, you have to.
1: Yes, I, um, I
0: I think just for me, it's a little too annoying, and but it's very purposeful. Like I get it.
1: Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's one of our villain songs. Yeah, um, yeah, but. Paul Rubens absolutely kills it as Locke. The conviction with which he announces his plan to blow up Santa with a cannon to the door is so gleefully evil. <laughs> it really is. And, like, guttural in places. And it's got that same impish naughtiness that made Pee-wee such a delight. Because Pee-wee was... A naughty child. Like Pee-wee was petulant and Pee-wee had to be taught lessons sometimes.
0: Yeah, he was a little troublemaker, even yeah. though you just kind of loved him, you know?
1: He was kind of a jerk. <laughs> and Locke very much so.
0: Yeah, it's it's very it keeps with the, the the Pee-Wee persona perfectly.
1: Yes. This uh this song finds Danny Elfman kind of pulling a little bit of an Elvis Costello, like how many words can I get in a line?
0: Yeah, and the, like, like the fact that it's written in such a way that like you can hear the co- the three having a conversation in the song, it's very intricate.
1: Uh, to the point where uh, Paul Rubens joined Danny Elfman and uh, Catherine O'Hara on stage when they would do the Nightmare Before Christmas live at the Hollywood Bowl. He was there in 2015, 16, and 18, and you can hear them stumbling a little bit.
0: Oh, well, well
1: just because it's like it's so complex.
0: Yeah, you, you get you got to really keep up with that one.
1: Uh, but oh, I agree boy, this this isn't my favorite of uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas songs, yeah. especially with uh, Oogie Boogie song coming up really close behind.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's so many good songs in it that this one is just like. I mean, you're you're allowed to have a one that doesn't hit quite so hard.
1: But I I do have this soundtrack uh, on picture vinyl.
0: Ooh, nice, fancy.
1: Yes, and this is, my debate is always, do you consider The Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie?
0: I always think of it as a Halloween movie.
1: I do too. Ian thinks of it as a Christmas movie.
0: This feels to me like Halloween leading into Christmas. So fall into fall into winter, it's transitional and it makes sense to me. But I see it either way, really.
1: That's fair. Um, I used to do, when I was in college, I would do a week of, ha- uh, actually i do a month of Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily scary ones, but I would show plan nine from outer space. Um, I would show the Adams family, um, just good Halloween movies in my dorm and the week of my Halloween parties, the week of Halloween, I would do a Tim Burton marathon and we'd start with Pee Wee's big adventure and, end with the nightmare before Christmas. And then the next night was my Halloween party. That's amazing. Halloween and Tim Burton very seriously, <laughs> and uh, good for you. Yeah, good for you. I should I should revive that tradition because it really was fun. Um, you know, we'd watch. I think it went um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Edward Scissorhands, Batman, mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, The Nightmare Before Christmas.
0: You, you kind of build up to Halloween. Yeah, way. kind of the the spookier ones.
1: So. Although that. again, That's... nothing. There is no movie scarier than that moment with Large Marge in the dark. Oh God, no, no, nothing. It's like it's terrifying. No, i well, Large Marge sent you.
0: Ugh. <laughs> I'm gonna have nightmares tonight.
1: Yeah, I frequently will say it sounded like a garbage truck falling off the Empire State <laughs>
0: Building.
1: That's like the best description. The side of Raymond Chandler. <laughs>
0: The Empire State Building, which we'll talk about here shortly.
1: Yes, we will. Um, uh,
0: but uh, in between Nightmare Before Christmas and the final Pee-wee movie, so uh, Paul Rubens has talked about doing a, a third Pee-wee movie for a long, long, long time. And he had he claimed, always claimed to have two scripts ready to go if, in case anybody came calling. One of them was going to be called The Pee-wee Herman Story, which he compared to Valley of the Dolls. Oh, God. And it was going to be an adult Pee-wee movie. And I don't think anybody really needs that in the world. No. But the other one was, was literally just Pee-wee's Playhouse, the movie. And it would have been a, a film version of the show where the, the Playhouse characters embark on a road trip in the style of Wizard of Oz.
1: Okay. I like that.
0: Um, also, and I hate to have to break this to everybody. Uh, Paul Rubens also approached Tim Burton of doing another Pee-wee film, but this time starring Johnny Depp.
1: Thank you. Hard no.
0: Thankfully, everybody said no.
1: Because Johnny (laughs) Depp had more uh, women to hit, assistants to bother, and uh, shitty daddy issues Tim Burton movies to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was too busy drinking rum and doing whatever pirates do. Johnny (laughs) Depp
1: sucks. He's such a dirtbag.
0: (laughs) Uh, but between 2007 and 2016, uh, Rubens did play Pee-wee, you know, several times, many times. Uh, he did a "Funny or Die" sketch where he gets an iPad and has to learn how to use an iPad. Um, he shows up on one of the very last episodes of Conan O'Brien's Tonight Show, which I remember being very funny because like all Pee-wee did nothing but make fun of NBC, ah, which is great, amazing. Uh, and then finally, in 2016, we finally got the third and final Pee-wee Herman movie with the help of Netflix and Judd Apatow. Uh, peewee's big holiday
1: i know and like there are in in that i like peewee i don't like netflix or judd apatow
0: no I mean, mad at
1: those things it
0: it was that era where netflix decided let's just throw money at everything so i'm glad we got it
1: yes but <laughs> judd apatow is one of those guys who thinks he knows shit and he doesn't because he put out a Warren Zevon album a little while ago, like, Ooh. the best of Warren Zevon according to Jed Apatow, and it is the most basic, like, oh, Desperados under the eaves. Ooh, big pull. Look at you. So deep. <laughs> Fuck you. I mean, I have it, I, of course. But... I knew you
0: were gonna be salty about Jed Apatow, but I didn't know why, and so I'm just delighted.
1: <laughs> hate him. I hate him as a filmmaker. Like, the 40-year-old virgin should honestly have him, should have had him sent to the hay.
0: <laughs> I don't disagree. <sighs>
1: It's a bad movie uh, for bad people.
0: I don't, think I've, Just, I don't think I've even watched any of those movies since like 2008. Like there's no reason to. It's all the same jokes. Ugh.
1: Like when I heard that he was helming a Pee Wee movie, I was like, please God, don't let this happen to me.
0: Uh, did you watch Pee Wee's Big Holiday?
1: He eventually did and was pleasantly surprised. But I was like, he's going to fuck this up because he's a terrible person. <laughs>
0: It's fine. It's not my favorite, but it's all right.
1: Well, why don't you explain it? Why don't you give the the premise? Because I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. Oh,
0: okay. It's another (laughs) sort of, um, it's a standalone Wee movie, so it acts like the other ones don't exist. But it's basically kind of a remake of Big Adventure, where he finds himself on a road trip uh, for some uh, mythical purpose. And that mythical purpose is Joe Manganiello. Playing himself, which is frankly the best part of the entire movie. Because Joe Mangadello rides into town on a motorcycle and Pee Wee serves him a milkshake and they decide that they're best friends like immediately.
1: Well, who wouldn't want to be best friends with Pee
0: Wee? Exactly. And so Joe invites him to New York City for his big birthday party. And so Pee-wee embarks on a road trip across the country from Fairville, I think is where he's from, all the way to New York. And, you know, it's very episodic and you meet lots of wacky, strange people along the way.
1: And of course, Pee-wee makes their lives better.
0: He does. I mean, he...
1: That's what Pee-wee does.
0: He turns around the lives of of three uh, bank-robbing ladies... He meets a farmer and his 10 daughters and decides not to marry any of them. Um, He meets Diane Salinger again. And I'm kind of shocked that she wasn't playing Simone. But in between all these is his dream sequences where he and Joe Manganiello are just like having a blast, just doing nothing but like jumping around in in fireworks and speaking Spanish. Yep. It's very, very funny. And it's very
1: funny. It's very you dreamlike. You can read some
0: subtext into it if you want to, but it's just a kid with his new best friend.
1: Like the idea of the subtext, like there's always um there's always been a kind of queer oh, yeah, subtext definitely. to Pee Wee Herman and I it's, it's I like that the, that continues. The
0: continued. closest I think they've ever come to really addressing any of it.
1: I like the idea that you can read into it what you need to read. Right. I
0: mean, into if it. you want to see it as um a, a guy and his his new crush. You can, if you want to see it as a little boy and his new best friend. You can, it it works either way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really beautiful. in that that ambiguity is something that, that Peewee has always yeah. celebrated. Uh, but we're
0: dancing around the the last song on our list because we just don't want this episode to end. Uh, but once Peewee arrives in New York City, we get the last piece of music. <laughs> ah! ah, it's the end. Uh, with the song called New York. It's a musical number. Ah! In which Pee Wee details all of the great things about New York City. So let's go to a clip.
1: Hello, New York, New York, New York. Hey, watch where you're going. (laughs) Watch where I'm going in New York. New York, New York. (laughs) The Empire State Building. Wow, it's tall. The (laughs) Building.
0: Now, right away, it's kind of a good joke, but it's not a great song.
1: Yeah. And it's obviously like a little bit of a riff on Frank Sinatra. Um, Right. And this one uh, also composed by Mark Mothersbaugh, Mm -hmm. um, who I think you all know, but uh, we forgot to mention that he is in Devo and he has made, uh, Devo has made several appearances here on the OST party. Yes, absolutely. Um, Most most recently on Tank Girl. Yeah. Um, but, kind of a f- little fun note, I just want to point out about Mark Mothersbaugh is that he composed the theme song for Rugrats. Yes. Which E.G. Daly, who played Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, is the voice of Tommy Pickles. That's right. Very so small many fun.
0: Fun little connections here.
1: Yep. Yeah. So many careers launched. I'm. Um, I I like some of the in jokes or some of the the weird little sing talking jokes like me singing about Madison Square Garden because it is neither a square nor a garden.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, misleading.
1: Yeah, like those kind of like stream of consciousness. Um obviously like the Empire State Building is not the tallest building in the world. It's not even close anymore.
0: No, but just the fact that they sing the line the tallest building in the world I <laughs> that's great
1: yeah exactly (laughs)
0: that's
1: funny um joe gets a few verses Mm -hmm, singing about
0: it's the day of his big birthday and he's excited
1: armani or armani right (laughs) um and it's it what's kind of classic about this and we i think we touched on this a little bit in down with love is you know it shows all these like great new york locations that he's walking to and they are all very far apart
0: oh yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs)
1: But I love that. Like, it's that big sort of mid-century view of New York City. Mm. Like, the UN, the Statue of Liberty, like, Just Times like Central Square. Park. Yeah, all of yeah. that. Like, you think, oh, I'll see all of that. No, you won't. New York is very big.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, you can't do that on, in one day or even on one trip.
1: Nope. <laughs> So, but like
0: they, they even make a point to have him like, like sing about riding the subway and asking, "Am I going uptown or downtown?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and you know it does get to, you know, right across from the party, and it does end with him falling into the unguarded manhole. Right. It's a little bit of a and, bummer way to end the song. Kind of, yeah,
0: and a little bit of a bummer for the ending too, because like the rest of the movie is just like. Uh, everybody is concerned about this little boy that fell down the well. And it's the only time when anybody acknowledges that Pee-wee is just kind of a little kid.
1: Yeah, even though... And I love that he's because... a 60-year-old man. Yeah, he's <laughs> clearly... Everyone is clearly an adult. But it's, you know, he can drive a car.
0: Right, right.
1: It's like this child in the well. Um, but it, it is a very sweet movie. It's All the beats are kind of still the same. And it's not as iconically funny... It doesn't no. have any like those those real big lines like from Pee-Wee. Like every line in Pee-Wee's Big Adventure is hysterical.
0: Yeah, like you you don't get people uh uh singing deep in the heart of Texas in this movie.
1: Yes. Um although another little fun fact, uh Mark Holton, who plays uh Francis, the one of the antagonists in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, mm-hmm. is from Oklahoma City. Oh, my wow. home state, where I will be cool um by the time this episode comes out awesome i will be headed to oklahoma
0: nice yeah. for uh vacation or just just going
1: down to see my grandmother Oh, so, okay, and cool. and my that's mom cool. has relocated there so um nice. i told her i called her up today and was kind of asking her history of peewee so she's going to be really <laughs> excited to to hear this episode this one's kind of dedicated to my mom this one goes out to my mom nancy
0: hi Libby's mom nancy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But yeah, this would be the last time Paul Rubens would ever play Pee-wee Herman. His final performance ever as an actor before his death this year, uh, he was in the most recent episode of Bob's Burgers, uh, the 13th season finale titled Amelia, which if you haven't seen it, I I, know I'm a guy who keeps up with Bob's Burgers. It's legitimately one of the best episodes they've had like in three or four seasons. It is.
1: It's it's beautiful. It's a beautifully filmed episode. Like it's like. Or I guess I should say beautifully animated, um, kind of heartbreaking. It's a really sweet episode.
0: It is, and, and like I'm, I'm glad that he got to go out on like a really good episode of a great classic show.
1: Um, well, he is is much missed.
0: Will be deeply missed, and like there's, there's just never going to be another one like him. No,
1: I um, there really can't be. It's just, you know, that time. The early '80s was such a wonderful time for just experimental weirdos, mm-hmm. and and we we made space for them. And I hope we can find our way back to that as a yeah. society.
0: He's the living, He was the living embodiment of just this the celebration of like Americana and kitsch and everything that we love about you know. Going on road trips and seeing the weird side of America.
1: Yeah. And it's it's funny. I looked and didn't see anything from John Mulaney, who, of course, his uh, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch owed a oh, huge yeah. debt to Pee Wee's Playhouse. But, you know, he's too busy being John Mulaney. So.
0: Well, what you going to do? What you going to do? Not John making Mulaney?
1: another oh, hello.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, the last thing I guess I'll ask is, we didn't even talk about our favorite songs. Which of these would you say is your favorite Pee-wee song?
1: Ooh, that's... T- I'm going to have to say Breakfast Machine. It's tough uh, mm-hmm. between that and the luckiest boy in the world, but um, just my eternal love for Danny Elfman compositions wins out. What about yours?
0: Yeah, I think it's got to be Tequila. Like, I loved Breakfast Brex- Brex- Machine. I I. Actually, truly love his version of Surfing Bird now that I found it. But something about tequila is just like one of those things where you, as soon as you hear it, it immediately takes you back yeah, to seeing it's iconic dance, you know? No. Yeah. So, like, Pee Wee made me love tequila and not Pee Wee made me love tequila, but Jimmy Buffett made me love margaritas.
1: <laughs> I like one of those things.
0: But yeah, that's Pee Wee Herman, everybody. He will be
1: missed, and we. We've been, we were lucky to have him. We really were. You know, to live at a time where Pee Wee Herman walked among us, where Paul Rubens walked among us.
0: He will be missed by 80s kids and their parents
1: around the world. Yes, indeed.
0: Uh, so Libby, what's uh, next for the OST party?
1: We're going back to the 80s as we go back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. We're bringing in a little more Oingo Boingo, once again, uh, kind of in a Danny Elfman mood uh so yeah so we'll be doing back to school get your pencils out every
0: time we think we're done with oingo boingo, we find one more
1: <laughs> i'll never be done with oingo boingo oh i know i know <laughs> we haven't even but- talked about face like a frog yet
0: <laughs> fair enough all right well libby where can our listeners find you online
1: you can find me on twitter at libby cudmore you can find me on blue sky same uh same at You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can finish up the season three of The Righteous Gemstones over on the Misbehaving podcast. Drew, oh my God. Joe, where can we find you?
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Drew now. Uh, I am on Twitter and Blue Sky and Threads and Instagram, all at Cordial Wombat, because I like consistency in my life. Or you can find me on the Christmas Creeps podcast where we talk about Christmas movies and things all year round. We just recorded an episode on the uh, cartoon special Christmas Comes to Packland. So look out for that on uh, Twitter at Christmas creeps um, everywhere else, you know, all, all the social medias we're at Christmas Creeps. And you can send us anything you want at OST party on Twitter or at OSTpartypod at gmail.com if you'd like to email us anything
1: also Um, join our discord
0: yes please we would love to talk soundtracks with you uh so we'll leave the link to our discord in the show notes because we really can't post that link anywhere because that's how you get bots just flooding your discord And you know who wants that yes um but that's gonna do it for the ost party Uh, i've enjoyed talking about music with you libby (laughs) Ah! (laughs) so for the ost party i'm joseph
1: wade and i'm libby cudmore
0: Buy the ticket.
1: Take the ride.